It's time for the Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program. Uh, you're listening on AM 950 WROL, maybe 100.3 FM. we got a new guy producing a show today. Yes. Yeah, new guy. <laughs> Sorry, I've been away for a couple days. I'd like to thank Keith for stepping up and yeah, um, yeah. doing yeah. that. Yeah, you, you remember where all the buttons are? Sort of. Sort of, all right. We'll, we'll figure it all out. All right, okay, all right, all right. I, I know when I leave work for a day, I have to be retrained when I come back, so. And you do all the magic on the other side of the board. I just stand here and talk about stuff, so. In a, in a couple minutes, we're going to be talking to Keith Barry from Consumer Reports. Uh, they did an interesting study about uh, um, what happens during crash testing and some other things, so we'll be talking to him in a minute. Also, if you're a political person, uh, there is a bill in the state legislature that has been introduced that will allow Massachusetts residents to, um, how can I put this, restore year of manufacture plates for antique vehicles. So that way, if you found an antique vehicle, if you had an antique car and you wanted to have a, and you wanted to have an antique plate to go with it, they'll allow you to, uh, they'll allow you to actually restore that plate. And um, and so you don't have to go out and try to find a perfect 1955 plate or something like that. So you actually be able to restore it and display your, your manufacturer plate. However, right now the registry says these plates must be in original condition, but they're saying, well, they might not have to be. So that's actually, I think it's a pretty good bill because you're not altering the plate. You're not changing the numbers. You're not changing the design. You're just making it so it's more readable and it's going to be a better condition than one that isn't. Well, with us on the phone is our friend Keith Barry. Keith Barry is uh, with Consumer Reports. I've known Keith for quite a while. And uh, Keith, good morning, and welcome to the Car Doctor program here in Boston. Good morning, John. How are you? I am. Ju- I'm doing just great. And you know, and I um, maybe or maybe not insulted one of your coworkers at a New England Motor Press event once when I called Consumer Reports a bunch of white-coated toaster testers. <laughs> and uh but that well, actually we can came whatever we want now it's great yeah but that actually that actually came from uh david champion who was at consumer reports years ago yeah yeah who uh, yeah. who called themselves a bunch of white-coated toaster testers and and uh actually i believe a picture of a bunch of people standing at a start stop line at, at a track with a bunch of toasters and uh oh, that's and, hilarious yeah so that's hilarious yeah. So, well, I actually, I actually came from from a, a toaster testing background in a whole other lifetime. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> but uh, but cars have, have always have always been uh, have, have always been a little more interesting to me than than they just do more things. They so do far. they do more. I I suppose yeah. you know. Although I will say, um, 
My wife, and if she's listening, is a toast snob. I expect her at some point to actually take a picture of a perfect piece of toast. And if we ever go out for breakfast, to show it to somebody and say, no, no, I want it to be golden brown, not too crunchy, not too soft. No, you know, so I, there, there's well, a lot. If you find to, it, if yeah. you find it, let me know. Yeah. If yeah, he finds a, it, let us know, please. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to be said about the perfect toast. So, but anyway, that, uh, you know, you did a story recently sort of, about crash testing and how not everybody gets equally represented when it comes to uh, crash tests, and uh, especially yeah. especially women. Yeah, and it's not necessarily just the test. The, the hypothesis is that, is that it's the test that creates this problem. But um, there are a number of studies dating back to the 1980s, but the most recent ones are, are from earlier this year, that show that, uh, that, that female vehicle occupants who are wearing seatbelts have a 73% greater odds of being seriously injured in the same kinds of crashes as uh, a male vehicle occupant, and they're 17% more likely to be killed. So what that means is when there's a crash that takes place, um, if there is a, if there are two men in the in the in the front seats of the car, um, versus two women in the front seats of the car, um, the car with the women in it, in the exact same type of crash, is going to have a seventy three percent greater chance of, of of there being a serious injury, um, and and that's a that's a huge number. Um, that's yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's a very very big difference. And um, Consumer Reports isn't the first who has uh, covered this issue. Uh, we were just kind of hoping with our, you know, with our, our sort of standing and, and the fact that uh, there's yeah, a little bit of gravitas to a subject when we talk about it, that it would, it would get some notice. There have been a lot of great articles and books and people writing about this and, um, and, and papers, academic papers coming out every few years um, about this topic. And it's just sort of been ignored in terms of uh, a crash testing. Um, the hypothesis is, as, as you said, the idea is that there is not actually, when you look at crash test dummies, there is not actually a, an average female mm. crash test dummy who is being used uh, for uh, the new car assessment program or for any internal program that automakers have. Now that which which seems a little surprising to me because yeah. I know they have pregnancy suits the designers wear so when they're designing cars they can design it you know to uh, somebody who's you know what six seven eight months pregnant um, I know that there's a lot of women in the design industry in uh, with, that work for vehicle manufacturers so it's surprising that there would be that kind of disparity between males and females when it comes to survivability in a car crash definitely and, and you're right and the majority of the people i spoke with to the story um who were themselves regulators they were uh they were safety advocates they were engineers they were biomechanical engineers they were uh, people who designed these were uh, many of the people i spoke to are are women um, the, the issue is, though, that um, a lot of automakers, as we know, um, they teach to the tests when mm. it comes to safety. Is, you know, no one was, was designing for small overlap until that test happened. And then all of a sudden, after one redesign, everyone passes it. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone's getting five stars now because they know that it's what, what has to be done to make a car safer. Mm -hmm. But without this dummy, um, and 
And, and I will say that, you know, the suit and the design and things like that, it, it, a dummy isn't just ballast. The dummy isn't just a mannequin. These crash test dummies cost upwards of a million dollars, mm. and, they take, uh, and they can take decades of research because you have to make sure that every single piece of that dummy accurately represents uh, both the external and internal properties of a human body. So it isn't just, you know, a, a, a mannequin or a, a piece of plastic to show something. It's not just about the weight. It's about how bones are different on the inside, mm. and not just the geometry of the bones, but the bones themselves have different properties, for, um, you know, males yeah. versus females. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it is interesting because I know that, I guess probably still to this day, that the airbag systems in cars are designed to protect sort of the 80th percentile male. So somebody who's, you know, five foot 10 and weighs, you know, 165 pounds. And the idea behind that was that um, airbags, even though we call them supplemental restraint systems, are, are when the testing is done, they say, no, no, we need to be able to protect the 80th percentile male who is too stupid to wear a seatbelt, so we have to fire mm. off the airbag at speeds of, you know, 200 miles an hour. And that same airbag that would protect the stupid 165-pound uh, male who's five foot ten that didn't wear a seatbelt could hurt the 5'5", 125-pound woman. Yeah, that's that's exactly um, that's that that is an issue that's it's actually been it's something I addressed in the piece uh, that that the industry took action to solve um, very quickly. It's mm. it's one of the it's it's a remarkably quick situation where automakers, regulators, and safety advocates kind of came together and said we have a problem. There are nearly two hundred small statured women and children have died since the airbag right. mandate went into place and. Uh, the regulations were relaxed a little bit so automakers could more rapidly test yep. to figure out what the problem was. Depowered airbags, a regulation went into place saying, all right, automakers, you have to put in depowered air. You have to do something to address this. Um, and within about three years, um, the rate of, of deaths from airbag-related crashes went down precipitously. Mm. It, was a, it was a huge thing that, uh, that took place very, very quickly and was solved very, very quickly. And, you know, when, 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 when there's a, an issue like that and there are people on television and the advocates I talked to who were there at the time said, you know, it, it made for a really compelling argument when someone would, would say, this thing that was supposed to save my family Killed a member of my right. family. That's, I mean, that's that is a very compelling thing. But serious injury over the course of many, many, many years. These are sort of hidden problems. The fact that that when a when a crash takes place, that a woman is more likely to walk away with or not walk away mm. with a, with a with with more injuries than a male counterpart. It's very hard to kind of. Uh, make that uh, you know make make a lot of drama out of that yeah. in order to get people to move um, and act on it. So, at, so how do we try to make cars safe for everyone? Yeah. So, so the interesting thing is um, by making cars safer for female occupants, it's not necessarily making them less safe right. for other occupants. Uh, airbag fatalities did not go up for. Um, for men when they fixed airbags for small statured females mm. and children. Uh, so so I, what we need to do is we need to do the research. Yep. 
And in order to do that research, you need to have funding. In order to have funding, you need to have a reason for the research. And what, what we've found and what the people we've spoken to and what, what, what I personally think as well is that a regulation to have a dummy, uh, a 50th percentile, an average female dummy, as was proposed in the early 80s, but cut due to budgetary constraints, um, putting that dummy into place um, would force automakers to do that research, fund that research, and find out how that average female reacts in a crash. Because right now, we don't even know what we would need to do in order to... Um, uh, in order to make cars safer. Mm. Uh, we, we don't even know what would be necessary. We have hypotheses, but we don't know what the differences are between how those male and female bodies react. So for a consumer who's looking to try to buy the safest car possible, and that consumer is going to be not driven by me, but be driven, or that car is not going to be driven by me, but it's going to be driven by my wife. How do they try to find Ooh. the safest car? So, I mean, there's sort of, there's, there's good news and bad news here. I mean, I'll start with the bad news, and it's that, it's that we, we don't know. Um, because we don't conduct these tests, mm -hmm. not we, but because yep. no safety agency conducts these crash tests. Um, because NHTSA, IHS, even in Europe, there are these, these tests don't exist. Mm. We, don't, we don't necessarily have a crash test rating for, um, for different, uh, uh, different sexes, different body mm -hmm. sizes. We don't necessarily know that. But what we do know is that over the past 20 or so years, um, cars have become extremely safe. And over the past 40 or so years, car safety has improved drastically. Uh, and that's largely thanks to the new car assessment programs, the NCAP programs, in which automakers have to kind of put their cards on the table and show the public this is how safe a car is in a crash. Mm -hmm. And people don't want to buy cars that are unsafe. And those cars that get two stars, three stars, marginal, usually those get changed pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, and those cars aren't on, aren't on the market for long. Yeah, so I would say if you buy the safest car you can find, um, get a car that gets good safety ratings in IHS, in NHTSA tests, and also a car that has that automatic emergency braking, the blind spot warning, those sort of active driver assistance features that can prevent you from getting into a crash in the first place. But that's the best advice that I can, best advice yeah. that I can give. Yeah, no, that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. You know, um, you know, part of me, the weird, twisted conspiracy theorist part of me says, well, the automakers are not addressing this in a safety way because then all of a sudden the truth would come out that it would get really expensive to try to, uh, make a car that's safe, equally safe for all occupants. So they're sort of finding ways to sort of not get it done. Uh, it's that's probably not true. That's probably just my twisted mind thinking that way. But yeah, it can yeah. be. These changes can be things. I mean, look at the differences between um, you know a model year difference um, from from a car before a small overlap crash test to after how they don't even have to make any visible changes to the car. You move one small piece in the tow pan, and suddenly it distributes the force differently. Yep. So a, a lot of these changes are, are just, they don't know any better. Right. Uh, and they know a lot about how, how I mean, these are very, very smart people, but there's just this piece of information that they don't have, which I think is, is really upsetting because 50% of drivers on the road 
are are female. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you would think that you would have that. Yeah. It's not like an outlier, you know? Yeah. No, it, it makes it makes sense and I think and I think you pointed it out perfectly with the expense that's involved. You know, I think a lot of people think, well, a crash test dummy. I saw them on Mythbusters. They they took a mold, they poured a bunch of jello looking stuff in it, put some Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exp- you know, put some dye packs in it, and it's a crash test dummy. But no, the like you said, the crash test dummy, the expense involved, and all the tele- telemetry and all that sort of stuff, you know, millions of dollars to to build one. Oh, and and it's it's amazing. Some of it actually, some of it comes from you know when people donate their bodies to science. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's cadaver testing because you have to find out how an individual piece of the body. Um, will react um, in a crash. Dennis and just Dennis just went. Ugh, by the way, I know. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's um, but um, I, we actually have people at at Consumer Reports who are um, safety engineers, automotive safety engineers, and I worked with with a couple of them, uh, Jen Stockberger and uh, Emily Thomas, on this, and they were telling me about you know the labs that they worked in and, mm. and the things that have to be done. That it isn't you know if you don't know what the sort of uh, you know, if you don't know what the tendons and ligaments look like, and they're, they're scientists, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you don't know how to design an, an analog to that. You don't know how to yeah. make a dummy of something that you don't fully understand. Mm. No, this is this is yeah. this is fascinating. And you you mentioned you're not a scientist, and I wasn't going to bring this up, but you are a deer. <laughs> I am what? I, oh yes, there is there. There is a there is a wonderful show that Consumer Reports has. Actually, can I can I plug another show on your? Oh yeah, it's great, absolutely. Today, well, it's, it's on after your show. So once you're done, you know, listening to listening to the Car Doctor at eleven o'clock, um, Consumer One Hundred and One. It, it's this, this this great show that takes you into the test labs at CR, and we try and do it a little. You know, we try to take off the white coats, and sometimes we dress up. Uh, I dressed up as a as a deer. Uh, that was telling people how to avoid gear strikes. So uh, it's a very meta uh, sort yeah. of. <laughs> and 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 I and I will admit that you you are quite the actor. It's I was I was I was a little convincing. Uh, the thing is, it was actually method as I had almost been oh. a deer. Uh, our test track is in very rural Connecticut. We have this you know three hundred plus acre test track. And on the way in, there's really nothing until you get to the track. And a couple of deer crossed right in front of my car mm. that very morning. So I was I was feeling it. I was well, really feeling well, yeah, it. So, I I understand. Yeah. And this is and this is uh, this is deer rutting season. So this is this is the time where deer go from kind of one side of the road to the other. And and in mm-hmm. Mass and in Massachusetts, I think there were I, I might have the numbers wrong but i think there was 48 deer strikes last year about this time so mm. there's a lot there's a lot of that that happens and and you had some great tips um and would you care to share some of them definitely i mean uh, the, the 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 main one is if you see one deer you're going to see more deer if yeah. you see deer in the same place if you say oh wow i almost hit that deer don't go speeding down that same section of road uh, the yeah. next day because those deer live nearby, right. and they're, they're going to come by. Um, twilight, uh, early morning hours, that sort of dawn and dusk, mm-hmm. uh, as we have the time change this weekend, keep in mind, you might be coming home from work um, on a different, uh, you know, your clock says yep. something different, but the deer don't know. Right. Uh, they don't change their clocks. 
So if they're, although I think I was wearing a watch in that one. But, uh, uh, well, but you, anyhow, you, were carry, <laughs> you were carrying a phone, so, you know. I was carrying a phone. I think, yeah, our continuity department was, uh, it was all off. Uh, <laughs> it's like the coffee cup in Game of Thrones. It was yeah. the whole thing. Uh, yeah. But anyhow, yeah, so if you're coming home and all of a sudden it's, it's dusk and you're used to coming home in the summertime and, and it's nice and bright outside, uh, keep an eye out because right. you might see different wildlife. And also your headlights. Uh, if there aren't other cars on the road, put on your, your high beams. And a lot of cars nowadays have automatic high beams. Hmm. Um, and you'll see in the dashboard cluster little the sort of high beam uh, logo, but you'll see an A on it, right. and that means or the word auto, and they might that means that your high beams might automatically turn on and off, so you don't sort of blind other drivers who are coming towards you. That gives you that extra field of vision that you need when you're driving at that time of day. Yeah, and and I, and the other thing is if you see a deer, uh, don't swerve because deer deer are going to be. You know they're wild animals. They're going to be unpredictable. So mm-hmm. kind of you know try to try to do the best you can, keeping your car under control. And uh, but don't say, oh, I'm going to swerve over to the left lane where oh, oncoming traffic and the deer is going to run that way too. So uh, yeah, you don't want to hit a, an yeah. F one fifty and right. miss the deer. You know right. it's that that's bad news for. I mean we like deer, but we also don't want to. Yeah. You know, or or you know, hit a person or something. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> you were you were you were very you were very emotional in the video when you talked about what could happen to some of your friends. So, you know, you put that suit on and it just you become you become different. It's very it's uh, it's television. You yeah. know, I, no, it's, it was, the magic of television. It was fantastic. It was it was again one of those things that I kind of went. Who knew Consumer Reports had a sense of humor? You know. You, you, well, we have. Um, they they liked what I did, so I can't say too much, but. Um, that won't be the first time I'll be wearing a costume. Well, uh, so <laughs> well, you know, I I will let you know that uh, last uh, Thursday we had a New England Motor Press Association meeting, and I showed the video. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh my gosh! And um, you may be tapped to be Rudolph at the holiday party. That is that is fine. The color of the nose doesn't matter to me. All right, uh, all right. Yeah, uh, just, I've, I've done know, the deer thing, so yeah, it's it's totally yeah, okay. Yeah, they they were they were uh, <laughs> you know they they were uh, you know Craig Fitzgerald, John Law are pretty impressed. So yeah, well, so. excellent. And I know I have to. I know I, that's your way of telling me that I've missed too many meetings. Well, uh, uh, yeah. Well, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, you know, fantastic information always from Consumer Reports. Uh, it's one of those. It's one of those magazines that um, you know I I've been I've been getting for as long as I can remember, and it's. Uh, you know, it, I, you know, I was talking to my boss about it the other day, and he and he said, you know. Uh, and he looks at me and goes, you know, I don't, I don't want to insult you or anything, but when I'm thinking about shopping for a new car, I always go to Consumer Reports. I'm like, what about me? You know, I write about cars. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, but I still go to Consumer Reports. And I'm like, all right, fine. Well, you know, we, we have that data that nobody else has. That's right. And 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 that reliability data and the data from the members. You know, we have we have data on 500,000 vehicles where people report uh, thereabouts report what they think of the cars. So, right. you know, you can ask, you can ask John, you can ask me, people ask me all the time. And I say, I know what I like, hmm. but I mean, I've yeah. bought cars that, you know, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. not, not, yeah. to, not to do quite well in, in the, yeah. in the yeah. CR ratings, but, um, but if you're looking for that reliability for owner yeah. satisfaction, that long-term ownership, you're not going to get that information anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, the reality of it is people ask, you know what kind of cars should I buy all the time, and they they've already decided. Mm. So you tell them, and yeah, and they and they end up buying something different anyway. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's just, you know, as long as you get something that makes you happy and it isn't going to cost you a ton of money. Um, speaking of which, do you still have that electric leopard? I do not. I do not. I, I, okay. I, I sold that years ago, but yes, I've been, I've been known to buy not so smart cars. Um, the leopard was one, a Corvair was another. Uh, fortunately for me, I live in a very small house with a very small yard, so I can only accumulate things for a while and then I have to get rid of them. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, I, I didn't think it through enough, I guess, years ago when I said, you know what, why don't I buy a house with a barn so I can put all this mm. stuff and put it away somewhere. But that isn't the way it works. So, yeah. Yeah. You have to, you yeah. Have to impose measures of self-control. There's a reason I don't have a big garage. That's Yeah, ex- exactly. There's, you know, if I want to collect anything, I'll collect stuff I can hold in my hand, you know, model cars mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, it's, it's easier that way. Or, you know, a lot like, cheaper, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, if people want more information about Consumer Reports uh, without picking up the magazine, and a lot of stuff is available uh, that you, you can find it without even having to be a – a subscriber or a member to Consumer Reports, but um, how do people find Consumer Reports online? You go to consumerreports.org or just cr.org, yep. and there are all kinds of different sort of tiers that you yep. can get different amounts of membership, uh, you know, different amounts of of, of information. Yep. To get that, that real sort of nitty-gritty stuff, um, you can... You know, you can become yep. a member. Uh, and also you can watch Consumer 101, which is our TV show, yep. which is in, in the Boston area. It's on NBC 10 at uh, 11 o'clock at 11 on Saturdays. I will encourage people to watch it. Hey, Keith, thanks for taking some time out of your Saturday. And, uh, well, you're, you're kind of you're kind of in Boston right now. So. Yeah, I'm in Medford. Yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Hey, I'm thanks, thanks a lot. I'll from across the, across the bay. There you Good go. To see you. All right, take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. That was Keith Barry. He works for Consumer Reports, and like he mentioned, he used to work for a toaster testing company, sort of. They actually were, they actually did a, a lot of appliance testing, and uh, I was asking him once about uh, something, about a washing machine or something. He's like, no, no, stay away from that one. You know, he, he really knows he really knows the stuff, and a uh, uh, very interesting guy, and, uh, and Consumer Reports is lucky to have him. Why don't we take a break, and when we come back... I have a bunch of stuff to talk about. We're going to be doing trivia today. Uh, we're going to be, uh, I have uh, i have some personal car repair experience stories to talk about. I didn't do them. So we'll talk about that. So a lot of, a lot of little stuff to talk about. So we'll do that when we come back. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. If you would like to join us, phone lines are open at 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Have you heard the story of the hot rod race with the Fords and the Lincolns was setting the pace? That story is true, I'm here to say I was driving that Model A. It's got a Lincoln motor and it's really souped up. That Model A body makes it look like a pup. It's got eight cylinders and uses them all. It's got overdrive, just won't stall. With a four-barrel car and a dual assault. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston, 100.3 FM, WROLradio.com, the app. You can find us almost anywhere. And um, this was a week that I had car maintenance done. Really? So, 
So we have we have two cars, a Volkswagen, which is now going on five years old almost, and uh, the Hyundai I have. Well, the Volkswagen. And how old's the Hyundai? Year old. That's it. Yeah. I replaced okay. it last May. I thought it was older than that, but okay. No. And um, the Volkswagen needs an oil change once a year. So I kind of wait till the dealership has a coupon that comes out and go, yeah, it's a coupon. So for, and it, and it requires synthetic oil. And with Volkswagen, I'm also kind of fussy about using their filter because it's a, it's not a spin-on style oil filter. It's a cartridge. So you take a little cover off, you take the old filter out, put the new filter in, put it back together. Um, not, not that it's difficult to do, but I like having the factory filter. So they had a deal for like, I don't know, 50 bucks. And it was synthetic oil change, filter, rotate the tires. And so went off and had that done. Good experience, according to my wife. They rotated the tires. They didn't try to sell her anything. Uh, because one of the first times she went there, and this dealership has changed hands, um, they're like, oh, you need a new cabin air filter and air filter. And I'm like, oh, that's odd, but okay, don't do it. And then the next time it went in for an oil change, you're like, well, you need a cabin air filter and an air filter. Don't do it. Then the third time, it's like, you need a cabin air filter and an air filter. I'm like, don't do it. And I ordered a cabin air filter and an air filter from the same company who makes the parts for Volkswagen. Just happened to find it. And it's exactly the same filter. It just doesn't say Volkswagen, but it's... Where it said Volkswagen on the factory filter, it said something else under it, and it was the same company. Um, kind of a pain to get to both of them. Changed them both. They weren't dirty, really. And they were a little dirty, but not dirty. So the first time, definitely didn't need it when they recommended it. Second time, definitely didn't need it. Third time, really didn't need it either. But I already had spent the money, which was... Maybe $25 that they wanted like 100 bucks for. So for people that are a little bit DIY-ish, air filter and cabin filter, pretty easy to change and you can save yourself some money. It depends on the car. Yeah. That cabin filter in some cars, you have to like take off the dash, don't they? Like... No, well, it depends. Some, most of them, my wife's Volkswagen is a little, you got to take, there's a panel underneath. Uh, my car, it's behind the glove compartment. So all you do is you open the glove compartment door, and whatever holds the door from opening up further, you pop that out, and then you take the inside of the glove box out. Yes, it's already it's, too much. It's already too much. <laughs> all right. Well, well um, anyway. So good experience. And actually, I said don't bother rotating the tires. They did it anyway. But it was also a good excuse to look at the brakes because the car doesn't have a lot of miles on it, but it is going on Five, four, five years old. It's a 2015. So um, it only has 24,000 miles on it. Um, went to, went with my car, which came with three free oil changes. So I said, well, where do I go now? Because I have one oil change left. And that dealership went out of business. But their neighboring dealership was handling any of the stuff like that. Oh, the Volvo dealership? Yeah. Yeah. So. I went in and said, I need to have an oil change. And I called them a couple days ahead of time, and I said to them, you know, you're still honoring this. And they said, oh, yeah, we just need to order the filter. I said, you're putting in a Hyundai filter, right, because they're kind of fussy about that. 
Hyundai is. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're ordering a Hyundai filter. And I said, okay. So I go in, and they're very nice. Drive up. You don't even have to really get out of your car in the rainy weather on Thursday, I think it was. Sure. It yeah. was just right, pick rainy. a day last yeah, week. Pick a day. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I brought it in, and they said, oh, yeah, you got to wait for it? And I said, yeah. So um, nice waiting area. Cappuccino espresso machine. Free snacks, water. Um, so I like, took my laptop out, did some work. Guy comes over, you're all set, just sign here. Car's inside, you don't even have to go out in the weather. Of course, I didn't pay attention. I went out in the weather and went, where's my car? Then looked and it was inside. Um, um, not used to be treating that well, treated that well. So I drive away about... 30 feet, look over at the slip, and the slip says oil change, something else, 5W30 oil. Except it takes 5W20 oil. Not that that's a huge deal, but it takes 5W20 oil. That's what it's supposed to put in. So I come back, and the service guy says to me, hey, how you doing? What's up? I said, well, I got this slip here, and it says 5W30. The car takes 5W20. You sure? Well, yeah. It says so on the oil cap where you put the oil in. It says 5W20. So he goes, oh, huh. Well, maybe it's just a typo. Maybe. So he comes back, and he could have very easily said to me, oh, yeah, we hit the wrong button comes back and he kind of went out somewhere talked to somebody went someplace else i could kind of see him disappear comes back and he goes oh yeah yeah we put the wrong oil in Can you change it and he goes oh yeah no problem i didn't get really kind of a pain about it i could have said well you're going to put another filter on right because but i didn't and they refill they drain the oil and put fresh oil in and it's all good, but, and somebody said to me, well, you know, what's the big deal? I said, well, and they said when they looked up the oil, it said that's the oil to use, 5W30. I said, but the cap where you put the oil in on top of the engine says 520. Yeah, they don't look at that, though. They just take the cap, take it off, see you later, bye. But it says 520 right on it. Yeah, but if the system says 530, yeah, I... I I, I'm not gonna. I'm not. It's. It's. I'm not gonna blame. I'm not gonna blame the technician for that. If their system says it takes something, that's what they're gonna go by. I know. The, there's writing on caps on everything on a on an engine. Do you read every single one every single time, or do you just kind of grab it and say, okay, let's 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 do this? I, I I've heard you say things in the past. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of right there. I I get it. Yeah. And and they were they were kind enough about it and they uh, and that's what they should be yeah 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 that's that's a good yeah. business model yeah unlike someplace I was this morning now it, can you really be sure they put in five twenty no they could have just they could have <laughs> they could have gone out and um they could have gone out and done nothing they could have just they could have just washed the car again and yep. brought it back <laughs> and the car did come out nice and clean they did wash it while it was there so I, you know it's it was fine it was fine so. 
And realistically, if it was summertime, I probably wouldn't have even said anything because warmer weather is better, but I don't want it to winter. I mean, the last time, I, I don't even remember when 5W came like because yeah. when i was working in the gas stations it was all 10w 10w something, something. 10 10 30 10 40 yep. 20 50 yep yep uh, i don't even know what the i know you've explained it a bunch of times but i don't understand what it yeah. means well it's it really all it has to do is the thickness of the oil so the low number is sort of the in the w 5w means it's tested in cold weather and five is thinner than 10 yes and 20 is thinner than 30 but because the way engines are designed now, and they have little teeny tiny passages that the oil has to go through, and somewhat some of it also has to do with fuel economy, thinner oil gets better gas mileage than thicker oil because it's less resistance for the engine. So car manufacturers say, well, if you have, if you have an adjustable valve train, it uses a thinner oil, and if you use a thicker oil, it's not going to work the same. I've even seen some Chryslers that when you put the wrong oil in will will um, set a check engine light for a random misfire because it keeps the valves from closing just exactly right because the oil's too thick and it affects the way the uh, valve lifters work. So oil viscosity is important. Again, was it going to make a huge difference? Probably not. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, eh, you know, I kind of want the right oil in here. No, I get it. Yeah, it's your car. Yeah. It should yeah. be. Yeah. Um, yeah. we we actually got a question when I was away. Um, <laughs> hope it wasn't important. No, 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 no. no. I, I, I got I got an email the other day from somebody who says my car was making a knocking noise and it was running rough and the check engine light came on and then the engine caught fire. What should I do? Stop driving the car. Well, I, I'm like. <laughs> Well, I hope this wasn't something you wanted an immediate response to, you know, because I said call the fire department and then <laughs> a junkyard, you know. Or call your call the fire department, your insurance company, and a junkyard is probably what you're going to need to do kind of in that order. So hopefully this wasn't that no, important. No, this is question. not that important. So my buddy who bought the, the 1998 Sebring. Oh, yeah. Um, do you guys know or which could, I should have bought, by the way? But, you, yeah. you could have. Yeah. Or could you recommend a place to have the top of the Sebring restitched? I guess you were talking about something mm. a couple weeks ago. Yeah, find it a good convertible shop top. Shop, shop top. Top shop. Convertible, convertible top, top shop. shop. Yeah, um, it's hard. Um, there are a few around still. There's uh, there's a auto top place in Brockton that's been there forever. Uh, there's got to be one here in the Quincy area. Where my wife's car went, her top failed under warranty, and they sent it to some a, a guy I would never recommend anyone ever go to because they had the car for like two and a half weeks, and it's a day and a half job. So I don't know what – I don't know if he, like, went to lunch and went fishing, and I don't know what he did in between, but um, – the uh, uh, I I would go to I might even go to a body shop that does like custom work and okay. go in and say who do you send your interiors to interiors yeah so if you have if you're doing a hot rod you know who does your who does your interiors and there might be some somebody in a little shop somewhere that does convertible tops and interiors and that type of thing um, 
you know, short of uh, what's the magic spray stuff in the can? Flex oh, Seal. Flex Seal, yeah. You know, short of getting Flex Seal tape or Gorilla tape and taping, you don't want to do that. You want to actually try to, if it can be restitched, um, I don't think it can be, though. Okay. Um, it might need a new top. And uh, probably he heard me talking about going to a company who makes toppings. Who, uh, company Hearts out in Acton is the largest topping manufacturer. So they make the material that convertible tops get made out of. And oddly enough, they're in Acton, Massachusetts. So yeah, I, you kind of think of, okay, maybe, you know, big companies might be located in Boston. You don't think of a big worldwide company in Acton, Massachusetts. And, in fact, they are. And I think they're one of the best-kept secrets. And you talk to the employees that are there. And I was talking to a guy running some kind of machine that squished something together. And I said, how long have you been here? 35 years. So they make the tops, but they don't put them on. They don't even make the tops. They make they the material, the material for, the for the tops. Yeah. And all kinds of stuff they make. Um, and they're even – their material – some of their material looks so much like leather – they're potentially signing a contract with a sneaker manufacturer to make like high-end sneakers with logos made in them because they can do the logos. So they, they're pretty interesting. But I would, to try to find somebody who does that, I hate to say, you know, Google it and find out, you know, convertible top repair. Um, I know there's a, there's, you know, there's a place up in Natick on Route 9, there's this guy in Brockton who's been there for as long as I can remember. The Brockton um, one might work for him. Yeah. Not the nicest neighborhood, but they've been there forever. In Brockton's fact, fine in the daytime. <laughs> in fact, they did my they did the convertible top in my wife's old Volkswagen years ago. Um, I think it's Arts Auto Top. And uh, I think. Oh, look. Yeah. Um, but been there, been there since... Uh, in fact, when I was 16 years old, Art's Auto Top did the interior of my 63 Rambler because the interior was all cut up, and they actually did seat covers for, for my 63 Rambler back when there was probably an Art. can't imagine there's an Art anymore because, you know, that was, that was a long time ago. I also ran into, not literally, a guy that I've kind of known off and on over the years, who represents a lot of different companies, but he represents a company called Wax Oil. And Wax Oil is a undercoating of sorts, but it does two things. They have one that's a cavity undercoating product. So you spray it in the vent holes of your doors and things, and it fogs the inside of the car and keeps it from rusting away. And the other is a spray-on undercoating, you know, like the normal kind of undercoating. But it stays really flexible because it goes on really thin. So unlike some other products that were thick and gooey, which as the body flexes could crack and moisture could get in there, um, find it. Yeah, I think it's called Arts Auto and Marine now. Okay. Warren Ave in yep, Brockton. That's it. Yeah, that's that's a great neighborhood. <laughs> it's in the it's in the old oh, what was the name of that building? It was an old clothing store. Uh when I was a kid. Behind the old A and P. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> now it's behind uh now it's behind a market of some sort, but uh, yeah, it's not like I said, not necessarily a great neighborhood, but uh, but they they look like they do great work. Yeah, yeah. So hey, yeah. So anyway, uh, that might be that might be a way. 
But anyway, this wax oil product is is pretty is pretty good looking. And um, I said I said to this guy, how'd you, how'd you get involved with this? And he said, well, I was I was doing an appraisal on an old uh, uh, Land Rover, and he said it was an old yeah Land Rover, I think. And he said I was uh, I was looking at it, and uh, oddly enough, the the frames always r- rust out on uh, rust out on uh, some of those. Um, cars and trucks actually because the uh the the bodies are aluminum and the 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 frames are steel and the frames rot out and he said there was no rust and he saw on the back there was a little sticker that's a wax oil and he said hmm so then he started talking to somebody and they did a little more talking and he found out this product is a it's a swiss product and it has been around for about 60 years and they've been in Europe for a really long time, and they're endorsed by uh, just about every vehicle manufacturer. And it's called, and one of these days I'll have them on the program to talk more about it because um, I don't know. I sat down with it and, and kind of looked at all the products and checked it all out. Uh, if you want if you want to check out their website, there's not a ton on their website, but it's waxoyl-usa.com. Uh, and you can find out more about it and kind of learn what it is. And and it, they do have a do-it-yourself kit, or you can go someplace. They're actually looking for installers uh, that can that can do the product. You buy the stuff by the drum, and you use a um, you actually use a like regular paint spray gun to spray underneath, so you're not putting on too much at a time. And it's a it's a if you're somebody who wants to keep a car a long time, or you're doing a big restoration to a car, and you're going to keep that car a long time. I was talking to somebody just yesterday who is uh, who bought a '62 Corvette that had been in a barn and really kind of a mess. And uh, Corvette being fiberglass, the body's just dirty and cracked and needs a little bit of work. But the frame was not that great, so he's actually doing a resto mod, which means you're taking an old-looking car and putting all new modern components. And he's going to do a modern frame with rack and pinion steering and four-wheel disc brakes. And a new engine, but he's going to put the new engine. And he's going to put fuel injection. It looks like it was on there in 1962. And he's putting ridiculous amounts of money into this car. Just buy a new car. Doesn't want to buy a new car. He has he has cars. He has new cars. He's going to buy he's going to buy this car. So, um, and he was showing me some of the pictures. Just buy like, a new car. Take off the body. Put the body on the other yeah, one. There you yeah, go. Done. Not, yeah, it doesn't work that well. <laughs> but so he was showing me some of the stuff he was going to order for it. It's going to be a pretty amazing car when it's done. It'll probably take him, I bet it'll take him two years to get it done, but he's there's, retired, so he's got plenty of time. There's a there's a Mustang that's been sitting on a gas station's lot for a couple of years that's up by up, up by the Blue Hills mm-hmm. on, in Quincy here. It's It breaks my heart every time I go by it. I'm like, oh, this thing, that thing would be amazing if someone could pick it up, and uh, no, I mm. would... Yeah, I that, had, that, that, that actually... You see sometimes that people just get stubborn. Um, you know, there may be a, I don't know. I, I, I drive by, there's a house in, I got to think where it is, 106 maybe, somewhere maybe in the Bridgewaters. And there's a Falcon convertible, a Studebaker Lark. There's like four or five old cars. And I'm sure somebody has knocked on the door and said, hey, interested in, and I'm sure they've said no for years. And they're just slowly sinking into the ground. And at some point, they'll just be scrap metal. 
But somebody could, somebody who wanted to do something with one of those could do something with them. There was yeah. a, on the South Shore here, there was a, a Corvette in the driveway. had been there for years. And, I mean, was, the story was somebody didn't come back from, I don't know, Vietnam or something. It was their car or something like that. And they were holding on to it forever. I, don't, I never knew if that was a real story. But maybe that was a story to keep people from bothering the people who live there. But um, you, always, you always hear about that stuff. But, but people do get, you know, I'm going to get to that. And then they, you know, then they get to be 90 years old and still haven't gotten to it yet. Right. And by then it's not worth anything. So speaking of cars that may be worth less than they were when you bought them, uh, the folks over at IC Cars always send me some of their studies. And they said the average new car loses about 49.6% of its value after five years of ownership. So if you bought a $30,000 car five years later, you should be able to buy it for 15000 um, the car with the lowest amount of depreciation, and this isn't a big surprise to me, is the Jeep Wrangler. Those things hold their value ridiculously. You go and you see one and it's, you know, even a kind of base model that used to be, well, now they've all gone up in price, but it used to be you could buy a base model Wrangler, standard transmission, basic interior, nothing fancy for in the 20s. Um, and then four years later, it's worth, you know, it's on a used car lot for nineteen ninety five or nineteen nine ninety five, And it's like, Come on, it was only three thousand dollars more when it was brand new, but they still actually do pretty they well. Are after. Always in demand. Yeah, they're not yeah. the most comfortable rides, but no, people no. love them. No, people people absolutely do love them. Uh, but Jeep Wrangler Unlimited, thirty percent depreciation after five years, which is actually in the scheme of things pretty good. If you wanted to uh, buy a well, for even even a Porsche nine eleven. 37% depreciation. Um, Honda Ridgeline, the Honda pickup truck, those things hold their value pretty well because they're pretty practical, ride like a car, well, ride like an SUV. Um, Subaru Impreza WRX, only because they're kind of hot rods, so they hold their value pretty well. Something that doesn't, you want to go out and buy a Maserati Quattroporte. You could go buy one. After five years, it's worth 25% of what it was when it was new. That's a shame. I love Maseratis. <laughs> uh, that's the car. That's like the, if I win the lottery, that's the car. Like, Maserati's the car I want to get because. Yeah. I don't the, think you'd fit in it. Well, they have the the, the yeah. real top yeah. end yeah. that they yeah. actually build around you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, BMW 7 Series, 71% uh, depreciation after five years. So kind of the moral to the story is if you want to go out and buy a luxury car, wait till it's three, four, five years old. Um, I remember there was a, there was a guy who, uh, for a while, he was the director at the Lars Anderson Auto Museum. He was a guy with a whole bunch of money. You know, he's just, uh, he was kind of, I think he was kind of filling in. He owned like a big temporary employment company, I think. And he, you know, one day I saw him, he's driving a Ferrari like the Magnum PI Ferrari, the old Magnum PI, not the new one. And uh, and then one day I see him, he's driving a Bentley. I'm like, geez, pretty, pretty nice cars. And he said, they're not really expensive. He said, the Bentley I paid 32000 for. The Ferrari I paid a little bit more. He said, maintenance-wise, they'll kill you. They're, you know, when they break, they're expensive. But he said, you know, I drive these cars, and everybody goes, wow, Bentley, ooh, wow, a Ferrari. He said... I got the price of a 
new Chevy Silverado pickup truck into both both of these cars. So, but still, the one that surprises me is the Nissan Leaf that depreciates seventy one percent after five years. Wow. And I can only imagine it's because be the of the tech. battery. Yeah, it's got to be the tech. Yeah, and um, the new Leaf, the new Leaf Plus, can go. 200 and some odd miles between charges. So it's actually versus the old Leaf, which only did about 100 miles. Um, but it depreciates pretty good, which also means if you're interested in buying a car that you drive about 100 miles and have to recharge it, it's pretty good value. So you might want to go buy it, might want to look at one. Same thing with the rest of the uh, luxury cars, BMW 5 Series, Acura RLX, um, almost 70% depreciation. Your old Fusion depreciated almost 70 percent yeah chevy volt which is a really nice car um 68 depreciation after five years so if you were out car shopping those are those are pretty good cars to shop for um bmw 5 series 7 series those are going to get expensive to fix chevy volt chevy volt sold for a lot less than they actually than what it cost to make them which is why they don't make them anymore um, I would guess the same thing with the Leaf. BMW i3. Is that the little one? Yeah. The two-seater? Um, two two in a little space, maybe. Okay. But, yeah, it looks like a little bubble yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, where, if you were a AAA member and you wanted to buy one, how much was it? $10,000 rebate to AAA members to buy one because they're being discontinued. And... Um, they want to, they're kind of fun to drive because they're small. And if you buy it with the little gasoline engine in the back, which only holds a gallon and a half of gas, so it's enough to get you to another gas station, another gas station. <laughs> and eventually a place where you can charge it up. Um, so at least you never really have to worry about running out of electricity, but it only goes about 70 miles between charges. So it's not – it was interesting, weird – I can see why they it didn't work. Um, if they came out with a bigger battery pack, it would make a lot more sense. So, But those are some cars that are actually pretty good value. I promised we would do some trivia. So, and I was going through the bottom of my desk the other day. And we, our office space moved. So I had... Yeah, like months ago. Months ago. I still haven't put everything back where it belongs. Um, but I did find another AAA membership in an envelope. So I'll have a AAA membership to give away. And you can either keep it, use it as your renewal. You can give it away to a friend. Do not sell it on eBay. <laughs> or I'll get in trouble. But you can give it, you can give it away. You can do whatever you want with it. In the movie The Graduate, starring Dustin Hoffman, there was a car that was featured in the car, featured in the movie. <laughs> car that was featured yeah, in the yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, I know. What was the car that was featured in the movie The Graduate? Now, I want as close to an exact answer. You just can't say, oh, it was a Chevy, because it wasn't a Chevy. But you you need you. Need, I want I want to know details. 
I want to know details. What kind of car was it? What was the car that was in the movie The Graduate starring Dustin Hoffman? I believe the movie was in 1967. So you need to go back to your Wayback Machine and find out about it. Find out more information. So there we go. Um, this is uh, this is sort of an interesting little bit of news, and this is uh, I've been really disorganized lately. I'll, and I'll and I'll admit it, um, but I just found I was looking for all the information from Keith Barry, the whole story about um, the whole crash test dummy thing, and how all that information. It was about six pages of information, of course. I couldn't find it when I was looking for it. But there it is, right there, right there in front of me. So I don't know what's going on with me lately. But um, this is something that I think Dennis still has time to buy this if he has a, ch- if he has a choice, if he has a chance. Um, and it might, be, it might be something. It might be something he's interested in. It's not a Maserati. I know he was kind of interested in in buying a Maserati as one of his one of his perfect cars but uh, but he's busy he's busy on the phone and this is and this is the world's only jet powered street legal batmobile sold where is it it's on eBay uh, so it's the world's only jet-powered street-legal Batmobile replica created by Genius Garage uh, founder Casey Pooch is up for sale on eBay. The vehicle is a, f- a functioning prop. Um, it has the vehicle was created as a one-off functioning machine. Authentically represents what was depicted in the um, in the movie. It has a power plant that drives the rear wheels through a semi-automatic four-speed transmission with reverse that makes approximately 400 horsepower. The vehicle weighs uh, similar to a Corvette, features fully independent suspension, but it's that Batmobile, the one that looks like that one. So whatever it's the series. One, it was the, it's the um, second Tim Burton, the Tim, oh, the okay. Tim Burton, um, okay. Michael Keaton Batman. All right. Uh, Acceptable fuel is either uh, kerosene or jet A fuel. Um, the uh, uses a space frame, and its um, accessories include uh, replica th- uh, Browning 30 caliber machine guns, set up with uh, oxypropane powdered uh, powered semi-fire blanks. Uh, Rear and side view cameras with monitors, centrally mounted iPad, information center, digital analog gauges, flamethrower tank, because, well, why not? Why not? <laughs> um, how much? How much? How much? It's on eBay. Yeah. How much? Yeah, is that, I, I don't is, know. Is it? I don't know. It doesn't say. doesn't um, say opening bid? Uh, it doesn't say that. doesn't say that. But- but uh, One dollar. There you go. <laughs> uh, but the uh, Genius Garage goal is provide- uh, they actually provide college engineering students their dream shot to careers. The programs are set up to best cultivate and develop students' real-world hand-on experience by solving and uh, building vintage race cars. But they also built a BD-5 microjet. They're restoring a long, easy aircraft, which is a little uh, experimental aircraft 
little wing in the front, big wing in the back. Um, who died in one? Uh, John Denver. Yeah, one of those. Um, a full-scale, 38-foot flying replica Petrosaw. Sure. Flying bird of some sort, I guess. Um, wide body, wide wide body Corvette. Um, but they build all kinds of stuff. So uh, look for Genius Garage. Look for it on eBay, and you can find out you can find out more about it. Okay. So wait a minute. I need to. I lost my answers. Oh, there it is. I told them dis- disorganized today, and I don't know. I don't know why. And I've been that way all all week. I was had to do something at home the other night. Brought all the information I thought with me. Apparently, threw it away. It's called getting the old. Is that what it is? <laughs> is that what it is? It's time for, time for me to actually hang it up, move to Florida. Something I don't know like why that. You haven't yet. <laughs> I know. I can't. I can't afford to. Uh, but anyway. So, all right. Let's go in order. Sort of in. We actually have five lines. We have four lines. Line two never works. I wonder why. I don't know. Huh. Okay. Well, let's talk to, let's start with Dale in Westwood. Dale? Hello, Dale. Hello, John. How are you? Hi, John. How are you? Good. Good. Um, called to answer the trivia question. Okay. I, I need sort of an exact answer. So go ahead okay. shoot. It was a bright red Alfa Romeo Duetto Spider two seat convertible. You can't get any more exact than that. All right, there you go. Simple Great. enough. So I'll tell you what. Stay right there. Dennis will get down your name and address, and we'll send you out a AAA membership. How's that? Great. Thank you very much. All right. John. I appreciate it. All right. Sure thing. You know, it's less fun now when Google's involved. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So. Maybe, I will say they, though this, and maybe a Dale lot of these knew. callers did call in like right away, yeah. so they they even, actually did know. Yeah. But um, and according to wherever I got this from, perhaps the most famous use of the Alfa Romeo is in the is in uh, film is in the 1967 uh, movie The Graduate, starring Dustin Hoffman. The Graduate is easily the most popular film to feature an Alfa Romeo, ranking 21st in all-time box office gross when adjusted for inflation. In the film. Uh, Dustin Hoffman drives through California in a Series 1 Duetto Spider, which was in production from 1966 to 1967. So there you go. The folks, the SEMA show, the Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association, is is going on soon. And... um, they are working on a variety of different things. Well, uh, Jesse James, you know Jesse James, the guy from, uh, you know, the motorcycle building show and a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, he is uh, back this year, and he has built the ultimate vintage Baja truck based on a 1950s Chevy truck prototype and body style to show how Linex can be used for off-road racing and how it can be incorporated in a retro build for added style. Linex also... Features probably one of the most unique Jeep Gladiators at SEMA. One of these days, I'm going to go to SEMA to see what it's all about. Um, the Linex Jeep Gladiator has uh, been replaced with the new machine panels, entirely new, different look, a full exterior Linex coating. Jesse and Linex uh, Gladiator build. Uh, Kenny Fitzer will be at the booth on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And um, if 
I had the ability to do a little bit more of it and had free time, I would have been able to interview one of them, which would have probably been actually kind of interesting. So um, congratulations, Dale from Westwood. You will be getting a AAA membership in the mail. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Why don't we talk to uh, Frank in Medford? Frank. Morning, John Paul. Good morning. Uh, I got a problem with my Ford pickup here. Wednesday night, I went to start it in the driveway when it was raining, and it wouldn't start. It just kept spinning over, right? Not, okay. Not firing at all. All right. So now, this morning, I just uh, sprayed it with some ether, right? Yep. And it started. I was amazed because I tried it like 15 times before since since Wednesday night, right? Mm-hmm. And it started, and now I just got in it, and uh, I put it in gear, and it hesitates like it's going to stall when you start giving it the gas. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking, like, well, I don't want to take and drive it down the street to see if it's going to, because I had to push it in the driveway for 100 feet long. Yeah, and, it is, and, it's, and it's heavy to push. Exactly. Especially with one daughter and a son-in-law. Oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, I'm I'm wondering if it's uh, what it is. It's troubleshoot it. You know what I mean. As far as uh, you know, if if I had to guess right out of just you know guessing out in the wind here, I would say it sounds like it needs a fuel pump. Yeah, it's got like forty eight thousand on it. Yeah, it's how how yeah, but how old is it? Two thousand eight. Yeah, so it's eleven years old. Um, yeah, it sounds more like it needs a fuel pump because you know it's. If it crank, 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 nothing happened, uh, well, you know, three things. Spark, fuel, and compression. Well, we know we have compression. Um, We could have had no spark. We could have had no fuel. We could have had neither. Well, you sprayed ether in there after a while, and it fired up. So that means we had spark, but we didn't have fuel. Then once it started running, maybe the pump kicked in enough to get get it going and the weak pump could be why it's hesitating a little bit so right. you know if i had to just guess it something i would guess it a, i would guess it a weak fuel pump i mean and the thing to do the thing to do would be um you know put a put a fuel pump pressure gauge on there and measure and measure both fuel pump pressure and fuel volume and see if the thing's pumping any fuel or not um, you know, the other thing is, could could it be a clogged, you know, really clogged fuel filter? Yeah, it could be. But uh, really, yeah. But in the but is that in the tank or where's that? Uh, is that on? Yeah, mm-hmm. it on what year you said it's an 08? I think that one 08, is actually. Yeah, I think I think that one's actually mounted on the. I think there's a fuel filter mounted on the frame rail in that. Oh, is that right? Yeah, but it could be. But um, yeah, you know, but well, this. At this point, though, I would want to. I would want to look and see. You know, is it is it really? You know, is it really pumping fuel? And and is that what kept it from working the other day? Well, that's that's a good that's a good possibility. So, um, right. Yeah. Well, so, it, if I put a pressure test on it after the filter, then I I could still. If the filter was the problem. Then I wouldn't be getting an accurate reading on the pressure, right? Yeah, the, the, yeah, it's still it's still gonna it's still not gonna tell you the right stuff. So um, yeah, yeah. So I I mean I would that's the way you know that's the way I would look, and that's that's you know probably the probably the best 
you know, the best way to look at that and find out, you know, find out what's going on with it because it is, um, you know, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to just kind of guess it, you know, throwing a fuel filter in there. And, you know, that, that also, that's one of those things too, that the, uh, depending on where the fuel filter is located, um, I don't think it's, uh, well, let me take a look here. Hang on. I'm stop guessing and start looking. Uh, that is, um, now the fuel filter is, the fuel filter is somewhere on the frame and it uses those special quick connectors to, to connect it and disconnect it. So, uh, but you're also looking at, you're also looking at maybe, you know, maybe a, a bad pump. And to me, the way, the way you described it though, it sounds more yeah. like a bad pump than anything else. And you know that would be that would be more the way I'd want to, I'd want to, you know, look at this and say, you know, hey, what's what's going on with it? Is it? I don't think it's electrical to the pump because, you know, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have started up that way, and it is um, the and let's see. What I did was, you know, the which is kind of unusual with this truck. I had to go to. Uh, I'm in Melrose, right? Yeah. I had to go to. Uh, Walpole, so I went 128, so I was, like, that night, the night before, I was doing, you know, an hour's drive yep. both ways, like, on 128, you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, you know, speed limit or whatever, and uh, that, you know, that came in kind of like a workout that I, I mm -hmm. usually only use this truck, like, around town. Yep. So I yep. don't know if that has anything to do with the pump there as far as, uh, you know, because uh, I was uh, driving you know, an hour fast on 128. Or, yeah, I mean, you know. it, I mean, it could, you know, the pump, the pump could be uh, suffering a little because of that. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, that pump is supposed to put out somewhere between 30 and 45 pounds of pressure. So, okay. um, I just ran it for a half an hour and I shut it off to talk to you. Yeah. So I'm going to turn the key right now. This is live. All right, go ahead. I want to see if it restarts. All right, go ahead. Oh, it, it restarted. We started without the ether. There you go. All right. So, yeah, but but still, I bet it's got a little hesitation and a little shake to it. And if right. that's and if that's the case, I wonder if it's got enough fuel volume and pressure going to it to make it all work. So, yeah, I mean, I'd want to put a gauge on it and see what's going on. And I also want to look at volume. Is it pumping enough fuel? Right. Okay. And, and, and one other question. Was sure. That, uh, somebody said it could be a vacuum. No, I mean if it's, I mean if the, I mean that that thing's got a million vacuum hoses on it. Yeah, a vacuum leak would a vacuum leak would make it run rough, but it wouldn't make it not start. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't have a check engine light yeah. either. Yeah. So it's I'm kind of yeah I'm kind of thinking it's more a bad fuel pump. I mean, could it be possible with something up with the idle air control or something? Yeah, it could could be, but I don't think so. I I you know I would be I would be willing to at least guess at a fuel pump before I did anything else. Right, and in the, it's in the tank, right? Yeah, it's not. It's not an easy. It's it's not an easy one to get to. I don't think so. Um, yeah, but it's. But I did uh, pull a. I did pull a uh, Dodge automatic uh, transmission yeah. out, out of my van there one time on, in the garage. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, because the fuel pump, you either get a plastic or a steel tank. It was one or the other, but yeah, it sits on it sits on the top of the tank. So yeah, so you got to pull the and tank we, out. And the felt, uh, the pump there is uh, like you can go to a regular auto pump yeah, oh, yeah. for the pump. Yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. have to get a deal. No, no, you can go anywhere and get it. Oh, okay. But but I mean don't put one in unless you think unless you you know convinced that's what it is but you know that's if I had to just you know if I if if I had one choice and I was in the woods and the bears were starting to circulate around the truck and somebody <laughs> said what do you want to try I'd try a fuel pump right and you said the pressure was what thirty to forty yeah very good thank you okay a lot, all right Paul. take care bye bye. All right, we got to take a quick break before we get, if Rick stays on hold there, uh, we got to take a quick break. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program, and we'll be right back. Well, I'm not bragging, babe, so don't put me down. But I've got the fastest set of wheels in town. When something comes up to me. Little GTO, you really look at and welcome back to the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. I think, is Rick still there? Is he Patient Rick? We'll just call him Patient Rick. Patient Rick! Yeah, that's Rick. That's as long as you. Yeah, that's what I said. Patient, Rick. You've been very patient. Uh, yeah. Uh, here's a question in that. You know, um, you know how batteries have the tendency, you know, like in your cell phones and stuff like that, computers. Yep. To uh, wear out and don't have a longer life. What about the batteries in cars? What about them? Well, the average. I mean, you know, the, these electric cars. Oh, electric cars. Um, yeah, they actually have they they well they all have a warranty of at least eight years because the federal government says they have to be warranted for at least eight. Um, the hybrid battery that's in a uh, Toyota Camry or a Ford Fusion, I was talking to you know I get all my information from good scientific sources like Boston cab drivers, and uh, I said to one of the Boston cab drivers, I said, how often do you have to replace the battery in this hybrid Camry? And he said about every 350,000 miles, which with those cars is like three years because they're 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They never shut them off. Um, so electric cars are just like your phone that when you recharge it 100% or let it go down to zero, it is a little harder on the battery than if it stays at like 75% all the time. So recharging it is good, but... You recharging it 100% of the time when it doesn't really need it is probably not that great for it. But the average life, it, it's kind of, you know, the thing about the uh, Nissan Leaf with the 70 or 60 some odd percent depreciation, it's kind, of, it's kind of funny about those cars, though, because if you went to go trade one in, the the dealer probably says, yeah, you know, the car is five years old. I can't give you much for it because the battery is just about worn out. And if you went to buy it, they'd probably say the battery's only five years old. It's got plenty of life left in it. So, yeah. but the but the average Dennis, your mother had a Prius that the battery finally wore out on, didn't it? Yeah, she had the first generation yeah. one. But how old? That was pretty old. Wasn't yeah, it? she had that car. Well, she bought it. It was already like a year. It was like two two yeah. and a half years yeah. old, and she had it for 
what, 10 years? Yeah, something years? like something, that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, the average, you know, I would I would guess the average battery life in a in in an electric car or a hybrid car is probably in the 10-year range. And then you put a new one in and it's like buying a transmission. You know, it's going to be two, three thousand dollars. And there are companies now that are rebuilding them and remanufacturing the batteries, so you can get a little bit more life out of them. And Dennis is shaking his head like, "No, not a good idea." No, no, don't trust it. You don't trust it. Um, And but we are starting to see more availability where you, you know, and the battery replacement in like a, a Nissan Leaf. I think it's it's maybe an hour. It's not a big job. It's yeah, just the cost of the battery. They're a lot a lot more efficient and a lot more yeah. Yeah. easier to do yeah. nowadays than yeah. they were in the, when they first yeah. came out. So, um, you know, overall, you know, so that that give you an idea, Rick? Yep. All right. Okay. All right, take care. Okay, bye. Yep. Well, I promised I would do a comparison of vehicles. We got time, right? Yeah, we got time. Yeah, plenty of time. Plenty of time. Um the Jaguar F-Pace SVR versus the Alfa Romeo Stelvio, and I can never pronounce the, the rest of it, Quadrifoglio. Sure. All right. So the Jaguar F-Pace is powered by, is V8-powered. It produces 550 supercharged horsepower that goes to 60 miles an hour in about 4.1 seconds. These are SUVs, by the way. Five-passenger SUVs that... Have 550 horsepower and go to 60 miles an hour in four seconds. Woo! The Alpha is. That, that, that might be my actual lottery car, the Alpha Romeo. Alpha Romeo? Yeah. Stelvio? Well, I don't know about that, but yeah. one of the Alpha Romeos. I don't yeah. know. I like them too. It's powered by a puny little 2.9 liter V6 engine that produces 505 horsepower and goes to 60 miles an hour in 3.6 seconds. So it has 45 less horsepower. Goes to 60 miles an hour faster than the 550 horsepower Jaguar. Better torque. Uh, handling the F Pace is about 500 pounds heavier. Bigger engine, so it makes it heavier. The Stelvio feels a little bit more nimble. Feels more like a car than an SUV. I like that. Yep. As a day to day commuter on our less than perfect roads here in New England, less than perfect. Less. They're awful. <laughs> <laughs> and again, one of these days I'm going to drive on 128 and they're not going to be doing construction. Since I've had my driver's license, they've been doing construction. Can, on can I go on a tangent really quick? Sure. Um, in Hancock Street in Quincy, yep. they did it in a night. Wow. It was amazing. Wow. The north, from, like Wollaston, yep. from the Wollaston section up to the North Quincy section. Yep. I know some people don't know what that is it's about. I mean, it's not quite a mile yep. in that way, but they did it. In a night. In a night. Yep. And it's as opposed smooth. to as opposed to Route 18 from Weymouth to Whitman. It's taking they're like still five work, years. They're still working on it. Um, it's, it's the Anyways. last. Yeah, it's awful. To continue. Um, so the uh, the F pace more comfortable to drive in day to day driving. The Stelvio a little harsher, bigger wheels, um, harder suspension, better handling. Um, Stelvio feels more like a high performance sports sedan. So. BMW 5 Series, kind of maybe an M5 or something like that. Um, as you uh, push on the throttle coming out of a corner, the difference between the V6 twin turbocharged V6 and the Jaguar supercharged V8, 
the supercharged V8, even though isn't as fast as the Alpha, feels like a muscle car. You you nail the gas and it roars and it pulls and it barks great, and it that great bass sound. Yeah, exactly. And it's real. It isn't fake. Um, so it feels more like a muscle car. Both cars have uh, sport seats, real comfortable ish, but supportive. You know, racing seats aren't comfortable. These are sort of a takeoff of a racing seat. But they're very supportive, hold you in place. The F-Pace has more legroom. You would be more comfortable in it, I think. It's 6 feet, 42 inches tall. <laughs> um, but it has about 3 more inches legroom front and rear. The F-Pace is a little bit bigger, um, kind of all around. Uh, it has 15 cubic feet more cargo space. Um with the rear seats in use and about eight cubic feet more with the rear seats folded. So not a ton more with the rear seats folded, but it does have a little bit more room in it. Uh, steering, the Stelvio feels a little bit lighter. Uh, feels a little bit, again, kind of fits with that more nimble feel. The steering in the Jaguar feels a little heavier, uh, a little more weighted. Uh, both are excellent, just different. The exhaust on both cars sounds fantastic, unless you don't like exhaust rumble. If you like exhaust rumble, which I do. Yep. Um, they both sound fantastic. Um, they're loud. I wouldn't say objectionable. They're not. They're they're not like loud like the little cars that have those souped up. No, no, yeah. those are obnoxious. Okay, this is not obnoxious. This is like that low rumble. Yeah, loud. yeah, and and the Jaguar actually has a a fun button. Button you push and it goes makes more noise. Push it again makes less noise. Oh, fun button. Look at that. Yeah. Um, Fuel economy, should you care about such a thing with cars that are expensive? Um, about 18 miles per gallon combined on the Jaguar, about 19 on the Alpha. Jaguar has about a 390-mile range. The Alpha, about 320 miles, even though the Alpha gets a couple more miles that's per gallon. Still, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, all things, you know, 500 horsepower, 20 miles a gallon, kind of. You know, pretty good fuel economy for a lot of horsepower. Um both vehicles prove an SUV doesn't have to be boring because they are they are fun to drive. In fact, the Alpha I drove out to Acton at the uh, when I went to go visit the Hartz factory, and Doug Hartz, one of the cousins technically, was like, "Ooh, ooh," kind of liked it. So both vehicles are fun, fast. Uh, the exhaust sounds almost addictive. Um, this is not a compromise. SUVs are usually a compromise. These are performance vehicles that just happen to be suvs so if you're going to the home improvement store yes you can i, I don't know it's people that buy expensive cars really go do their own I've seen home improvements yeah i have seen it yep um but if you're taking your friends to dinner they'll fit nicely in this um the alpha probably gets if you valet probably gets parked out front the jaguar probably does too my hyundai santa fe sport goes Not in the so back <laughs> goes in the back uh, Price-wise, both vehicles start about the same in the mid-40s. That's not that bad or something that... I didn't tell you how much they cost when they're done. Well, I'm just saying, for yeah. the starting price on, on luxury car, mm. that's not that bad for yeah. an SUV. Yeah. When fully loaded, the uh, Stelvio is about 93000 because it is the Quadrofuglio. Um, the, Jaguars, the Jaguar is actually about $14,000 less. So... So if you're, you're looking, so what you're saying, if Libby's listening and she's not, instead of getting the MX, this the what the C the CX five CX five, she should get the Jaguar because she loves Jaguars. She should. 
<laughs> and she should get it in the SV model with the high performance exhaust and the big V8 engine. So that would be what eighty thousand yeah, yeah, dollars. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's nothing, a nothing it's big. A, so if I had to buy one, and you know me, I'm cheap. You would think I'd automatically gravitate to the Jaguar because it's cheaper. I think the Alfa Romeo sir sounds nice. The Alfa, just saying Alfa Romeo, Romeo sounds nice, <laughs> and there's not that many of them on the road. Not that you see a lot of Jaguar F paces on the road, but you don't see as many Alfa Romeos on the road. So when you see one, it's like, oh, that's okay. kind of, oh, look at that. So maybe, uh, but I'd probably go with the cheaper one. Yeah, I don't know that Alfa Romeo. Yeah, it's it's pretty nice. Um. Speaking of things... We hey, have... I got a question oh. for you. Speaking of um, cars with great names, you know, what's the one, the, the I think it's um, British, the Aston... Aston Martin? Martin? Right. Okay. All right. So my dad, Yeah. earlier in his life, Yeah. Um, I think he thought what he was buying was an Aston Martin, but he bought something called like an Austin Maria or something like that. Austin Healey? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. It was, yeah. it was really cheap. I mean, the, the, the axle fell off in the front. Well, but he was so he, he was so uh, caught in with the name. I think he missed it a little bit. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, sure it's not an Austin Mercy. Maybe it's that that bad that nobody ever heard of it. Before. It could the be the only one ever made. It could be. It could be somebody. <laughs> and and that voice is our buddy Paul Sullivan. Hi everyone. Yeah, where you been? I take every other week off. Yeah, 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 you know, it's like a Johnny Carson yeah, contract. You're, you're, you know? you're easing towards retirement. You know, that's what it is. You know, take every other week off. Oh, I wish not, but yeah. uh, that's the way it's been working out. Yeah, well, hey, fun. you're a grease monkey in the best sense of that word, right? Yeah. You Do you like the smell of gasoline like at the pump? Does that? Not that much. Not that My much. My wife loves that. There is a lot of people who do. Yeah. There is a lot of people who do. I, I um, preferred not to. Um, I noticed I was... Uh, getting gasoline out of something the other day, and it—you sm- mean it, siphoning? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it had been and it had been in there for a long time, and I'm like, oh, this smells oh, awful. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, but some I, people like jet fuel too. Yeah, the only time I like jet fuel is when I'm in the jet and it's not <laughs> and it's coming and it's out fueling the your actual trip, going someplace where it's warm. Yes. All right, we got to go because the very best in Irish music is coming up with Paul Sullivan in the Irish Hit Parade. Welcome him back. Uh, Until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. These are the songs you love so well. I know that because...